Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. We are constantly shown things that are disturbing to our psyche. It used to be that our world was our village. And our villages were pretty small. And to travel from one village to another was a major event. I remember when I was growing up, and I grew up on a farm, that to go to the big city was the same as me going to Europe now. It was a major event. But now, our world has expanded. Everybody has a box in their house that shows them pictures of the whole world. And we have news stations that are on for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But not just one news station, many news stations. And their whole business is to produce ratings, which means to give you things that make you interested and to keep you glued because what they're saying is so important that you have to be aware of it, cognizant of it, and spend your time glued to this box that makes pictures. There are sects in America of orthodox religious people who don't have televisions, who don't go to the movies, and who are intent on living simple lives outside of the influence of the mass culture or the world culture. This is all in an attempt to be less influenced by the by the world and the chaos of the world. <clears throat> of course, no matter how small your society, even if it's only two people, there's the opportunity for chaos. How many marriages with only two people are chaotic, where the parties within the marriage can't get along, yet there are only two people involved. So the question is not so much how many people. The question is more what is your state and how can you in your state, stay in a quiet, stable position within the context of the chaotic illusion that surrounds you. And this is the dilemma that everyone faces.
and everyone has different reactions to it. Depending on the amount of expectation that you have from the illusory world, it sets forth your inner temperament and your inner condition. So, if you need things, but really need them in the world, and they don't seem to be coming to you, they produce anxiety. They produce fear. They produce a state that loses its equilibrium because it can't have what it wants. And not only does it want it, or you want it, the belief system says you have to have it. And if you don't have it, you are somehow less than those who do have it. So we are constantly bombarded with a system that tells us we need things. We have to have things. And if we don't have these things, we are less. So the things that we have to have are almost all material. They're elemental. They're made out of the elements in the world. And we believe that in order to be successful, and uh, we need to have them. The most severe, or one of the severe um, diseases that's noticeable is hoarding. People collect things, and they believe that within those things, they have created a life for themselves, and they have created importance. When uh, I was a lot younger, as an attorney, I handled some estates. And uh, often after people passed, I had to go through their homes uh, to either inventory it or to set it up for sale or do something. And I remember walking through a house that had papers stacked, newspapers stacked uh, on the floor to the ceiling throughout the house with only enough room for a walkway in between the newspapers. Now, you may ask, why? And the answer is within the psyche of the people who live there, which fortunately you don't understand because you don't have it. But the point is, they had to have all these things around them so that they could feel substantial, so that they could have a reality to themselves. We have to set a focus in our life. We have to set a focus that re-establishes the way we see things from the way we're told to see things. In the world, we're told to become educated. We're told to gain knowledge 
in the illusory world. We're told that this knowledge will give us a place in the world and will supply our needs. And to an extent, it's true. You can make more money as a doctor who's educated than you can as a laborer. You'll have a bigger house if you're a doctor than if you're a laborer. Um, The point being, is that what's important? Now, we all should be educated, and we all should have the ability to make a living and supply for ourselves and our family. But we also have to, somewhere along the line, make an inventory of what's important and what's not important, and begin to understand the difference. We can ask ourselves questions like, what is it that makes us feel good? What is it that makes us comfortable? What are the moments in our lives when we have been at peace? And what were the circumstances that brought us into a state of peace? And what maintained our state of peace? And what took us out of our state of peace? What harmed our equilibrium? If you truly examine these questions in your own being, you will find that the things that gave you peace in your life were not material things. They were other things than that. For instance, as a child, what gave you comfort? Well, it was your mother's love. It was being held by your mother. It was the warmth that radiated to you from your mother to you, and the love that she gave to you. Uh, They've done studies and they found the children who aren't held when they're little don't develop in the same way that children that are held. As a matter of fact, in some hospitals when babies are there for an extended period of time because of whatever reason, they have nurses who hold babies and that's their job so that that part of their need is fulfilled. As we get older, as we go through school, as we learn from our parents, the kindness that our parents shows us stays with us as we get older. The kindness that teachers show us stays with us as we get older. And if we have mean parents or uncaring parents, if we have mean teachers or uncaring teachers, the effects of that also stays with us and influences us as we become older.
So all of us have an entire amalgam of things that are influencing us and <clears throat> are external to us, yet <clears throat> yet have an influence on our being, on our equilibrium, and on our sense of well-being. Somewhere along the line, we have to decide that we are no longer going to blame our situation on outside influences. We have to decide that we are the arbiter of who we are, and we can decide what our situation is, that we can create our temperament, and that our temperament is our responsibility, not of those who came before us, that our equilibrium is our responsibility, not the responsibility of the influences around us. So, what we have to figure out is, one, what are positive influences and what are negative influences, and what kind of influences help us, and what kind of influences detract from us. So, we need to establish a sense in our life that what we deal with in the illusory physical world is not our entire life. Imagine if you were on a trip and you were going to Alaska and Florida and the trip was in the winter. You would have to bring clothes that work in Alaska and clothes that work in Florida. Your shirts and a t-shirt wouldn't work very well in Alaska and your parka wouldn't work very well in Florida. Well, our life is a long-term situation where we go through different things and we eventually disappear from this world. We need not only to talk about what happens after our life is over, we need to establish a real belief system as to what happens when our life is over. And to do this, we need a teacher about God in the same way that we needed teachers on how to learn practical skills for the world. And this teacher about God will tell you that God is eternal, that God is not subject to all of the things that you are subject to in this illusory world, that he is everywhere, that he's aware of everything, that he is within you and without you, 
and that he's merciful. The teacher will also tell you that God has 3,000 gracious qualities and 99 specific names which are rounded up into the hundredth name which is Allah. And that you must learn these qualities. You must learn their names and you must learn their meaning. Now, in Islam and in Sufism, it is said that before you begin anything, you should say, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, which means in the name of God, the merciful and the compassionate. So, there is an understanding that anything you do in the world, you do through asking the blessings of our Lord. We don't just act. We act cognizant of the fact that we have a Lord. We act cognizant of the fact that there is a God. We act cognizant of the fact that God interacts with us in all of our actions. Or, in the alternative, we act in concert with Him, knowing that He is always here. We ask for His blessings, and we ask to disappear within Him. This jump from asking for help to disappearing within Him is an immense chasm that we have to learn how to cross. But to truly understand the nature of our God and to truly relieve ourselves of the burdens of the chaotic world, we somehow have to transform into the qualities that are God. We have to stop talking and start becoming. And we have to be consistent in that way. So when we say mercy, if we're taking a test, we can probably define it, and we can talk about it, and we can give examples of it. But can you actually be merciful? And can you be merciful in all situations? Can you be compassionate in all situations? Can you be loving in all situations? Can you be without self-motive in all situations? You see, most of our problems in the world are because things are not the way we think they should be. Things are not the way we want them to be. But if we can develop an attitude that everything in this world is perfect, the only problem is our ability to see perfection. Then we can work at the root of where the difficulty is. And the root of where the difficulty is, is in our own perception of things. And it's through an alteration 
of perception that we can change and we can be, we can begin to know the nature of our creator. And this is only known through his qualities, but not through talking about them, through becoming them. Uh, before I said that it doesn't take a lot of uh, people to create chaos. Two people uh, can create chaos. So the question is, can you step outside of chaos into mercy? When uh, I was young, I was working in a law firm. And the man who was directly uh, in charge of me was not a nice person. And I wrote to my teacher and I told him. And he wrote me back. And he said, in this world, as long as you have two or more people, politics enter into the situation. And politics is very often like throwing salt into wounds. He also said, leave the situation and go out on your own. It's better to live in your own rat hole than in somebody else's castle. There's a lot of information in these few words. For instance, in order to be at peace is not dependent on worldly goods. It's better to live in your own rat hole than in somebody else's castle. Because you live in a castle doesn't necessarily put you at peace. But removing yourself from politics, and this just isn't governmental politics, this is individual politics, also brings you at peace. So, you have to learn how to be alone, how to be alone in the world, how to be separate from the world, and simultaneously be content in that separation. Not needing what the world has to offer, and not wanting what the world has to offer. Relying on Allah for your sustenance, as opposed to relying on the people around you for your sustenance. When people ask me, when I was younger, what it was like to be a soul practitioner, I said, it's a proof of God. You sit there, and people come in, and they ask you to do things for them, and they give you money. Uh, you don't know where they came from. You don't know how they got there. You just know that it fit into the parameters of what you could do, and you got paid for it. Well, if we understand that everything that we're given comes from God, and that everything that is of support to us comes from God and that everything that we need is given to us 
by God. Then we begin, we can begin to establish a new attitude towards existence. If we think that the chaos around us somehow influences who we are or our situation or our circumstances, then the chaos around us will influence our situation and our circumstances. But if we believe that Allah, God, is what influences our situation and influences our circumstances and what creates our situation and creates our circumstances, then all of a sudden we are relieved of the burden of having to have to change the world. It's a very large burden to change the circumstances that surround you. It's a really difficult task to take on moving the world. It's hard enough having an argument with one person who is secure to the point of lashing out in their own position, who is angry if you attempt to change their position. Quickly you learn that people have taken positions and have become immovable in them because they believe that these positions in the world are part of who they are, and if you try to change them, somehow it is destructive of their being. We all see this all the time. People identify with worldly things. They identify with worldly ideas. Everyone is involved in cults. It could be the cult of a political party. It could be the cult of a religion. It could be the cult of what school you go to. It could be the cult of your profession. There are so many individuated cults in existence that it's difficult to describe them all. But one of the things about these cults is that they involve worldly situations and or people and are not focused on God. God is universal and transcendent to all of the worldly situations that you can be in. And for you to find peace in the world, you have to become transcendent to the chaos and the problems in the world. The problems of illusion will never disappear. The chaos that exists in illusion will never disappear. Why? Because illusion is constantly dissipating. It's disappearing. It's self-destructive. Its very nature is to fall apart. So if you're trying to rely on things that fall apart for your peace, you're not going to. So you have to refocus on that which is eternal. You have to refocus. We all have to refocus 
on that which is transcendent. And if we look, we can see what's temporary. And interestingly enough, we can also understand what's not temporary, even though we can't see it. You can't quantify kindness, but you can see kindness, and sometimes you can see manifestations of kindness. In other words, a person who is always kind, when you're in their presence, you can feel that kindness, and it transfers to you, because it's so powerful. So, God in his mercy has allowed some of his qualities at times to be manifest in individuals so that you can get a better grasp of what those qualities are with the understanding that the manifestation is also going to disappear. But that kindness or that mercy or that compassion remains and is there for others to pick up and to carry within their being. So the saint disappears, but saintliness doesn't disappear. The compassionate one disappears, but compassion doesn't disappear. There is an eternality within those qualities that go from person to person and from person to God. And when you enter into those qualities that don't disappear, a part of you becomes eternal. And to truly understand that, you have to become that. And to become that, you have to understand some basic fundamentals of entering into eternity. One is, you have to lose your self-motive. You have to stop doing things on behalf of yourself. You have to lose seeing people as different. You have to be able to treat everyone in the same way. You have to not see religions as different than each other. You have to be outside of the world of praise and blame. You have to enter into the world that is God's mercy and that is universal. So, to become real, you have to transcend the world into the qualities that are non-elemental. And the non-elemental doesn't disappear. And when you become those non-elemental things, you won't disappear. You'll remain as those qualities. And those qualities are godly qualities. So it's like the drop that returns to the ocean. The drop disappears in the ocean. It isn't individuated anymore. 
So we go from our individuated state in this world of illusion and we go back to our universal state inside of our Lord. And this is the repetition that we do, the meditation that we do, La ilaha illallah. I don't exist. Only God's qualities exist. I don't exist. Only the mercy of God exists. I don't exist. Only the compassion of God exists. I don't exist. The only reality is God's qualities. The only reality is that which we cannot see, but which we feel within ourselves. And when we feel it within ourselves, we become abundant because we are of Allah. And this is becoming real. This is reality. And this is the way we become reality. By being willing to give up our understandings of who we are and take on the understandings of who Allah is. Of giving up our individuated nature and becoming part of the universality of God. Of giving up our egocentric being, losing it, and seeing our sameness with all of humanity. These are not easy steps to take because the world keeps talking about you as if you exist by yourself and your purpose is to take care of yourself. Understand that the only one who can take care of things is Allah. And anything that we do is through His permission and through Him allowing it to occur. And the that understanding is as basic as the air that we breathe. Because if our breath was taken away from us for more than three minutes, all of a sudden, this existence is over. And to whom are we dependent upon for our breath? To God. If we don't have water for three days, what happens to us? And on whom are we dependent for our water? To God. So, we have to become God-reliant. And as we become God-reliant, we no longer are self-reliant. We do what's necessary, but with the understanding that God is the one that does it for us. So, we become humble. We become small. We become those who don't aid in the chaos of existence.
because we've removed ourselves from the chaos of existence. We're happy to be alone with our Lord. And this being alone with our Lord situation is critical to our advancement into transcendence and into reality. So we become more by disappearing. We don't become more by accumulating. And this is contrary to the way the world thinks. So we have to become contrarians. We have to become come contrarians to the world order by not participating in it. There are uh, sects, cults, that live near us in a place called Lancaster County called Amish. And they don't participate in the culture. They don't participate in the grid of civilization. They're not connected to electricity. Therefore, they're not connected to television. Therefore, they're not connected to media. They don't have newspapers. They don't send their children to schools. Now, this is all in the belief that they have the knowledge that's necessary within their fold. Now, whether that's true or not is another question, and that's for God to know, not me to know. But they do understand. And they do believe that worldly knowledge is not what is going to elevate them and to bring them to transcendence. So we have to start our search for what is going to take us to transcendence. What is going to relieve us of the burdens of the world. And as we take the steps with the intention to do that, Allah will take us on the straight path towards him. May it be so for each of us. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh.